uh, throughout our series on the characters of Christmas, we've seen hopefully Jesus is the main character every week. Uh, now, you may say, but Christmas is over now. Not anywhere else in the world but in America. At this, at this point, Christmas is still going on everywhere else in the world. So we're just going to kind of keep going with it as well for another week. So what we've seen so far is the expectation of promises that God made and kept through the prophets. We've seen the preparation and the faith of Mary and Joseph who believed God's promises. We've seen the dangers of indifference from the people um, who were the religious people of the day so that when even the religious elite of the day heard that the Messiah had been born when the Magi showed up, they just didn't seem to even change or miss a beat with their lives. We've seen what it looks like for people to oppose the Savior who has come We've seen the wonder and worship of the angels as they saw the redemption plan of God unfold and come to fruition there in Jesus. We've seen the shepherds receive the promises and the most likely of heralds taking the good news to the people they heard and saw so that everybody would hear of the birth of Jesus. Today, as we begin the new year, we come to what is one of my favorite scenes in Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. It's an encounter with an old man and an old woman in the temple. Two ordinary yet extraordinary people who believe God's promises. And in that, I hope what we'll see is some truth about Jesus, of what it looks like to hope in Jesus, of what it looks like to encounter Jesus, and how that should transform our lives. Not just part of our lives, not just once a week, but our whole lives. So Luke chapter 2, verse 21 says this, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. See, when we go to the hospital and we see babies, we go, oh, how cute. That Simeon, on the other hand, says, your child's going to change the world. Your child is going to even bring hardship and hurt to you. Verse 35, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up 
At that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. See, this passage begins by making clear something we've already learned about Jesus's earthly parents, about Mary and Joseph. There's an unwavering faith and faithfulness to God and his word and to his law. And see, even when they were told the weird, wonderful news of the coming Jesus, they, they don't seem to be thrown off by it. They just simply say, let it be the way you say. They trust. They're faithful. After eight days, Jesus was brought by his parents to be circumcised. This was the physical sign of the covenant of God with his people. And, and even more essentially, it says that he didn't just get circumcised. He was named Jesus, the name that the angel gave. It, it's at this moment that the God man, this God baby becomes Jesus. He gets the name Jesus, the one who saves, Jehovah saves. And in this name, Joseph and Mary show that they've believed God through the angel who told them the name of the child. And in this, Jesus' purpose is shown. He will save his people from their sins. Now, we look at this and if somebody today names their child Jesus, we go, wow, that's bold, right? But Jesus was a really common name. There's nothing unusual about being named Yeshua. It would have been a very common name in his day, but this was no common child. He is God in the flesh. He is the salvation of God for his people. But, but we also see that as prescribed in Leviticus 12, after 33 days of being unclean after childbirth, Mary and Joseph come to make sacrifice for purification. More, more importantly, Mary comes to make the sacrifice for purification, all according to God's law. This is what Leviticus chapter 12, and I'll just remind you of that since we were in it about this time last year. When the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And then he shall offer before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is a law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So did you notice that? They're supposed to bring a lamb. But the text tells us they brought two turtle doves, two pigeons. They brought two birds. So notice the neediness of Mary and Joseph. They didn't bring a lamb. They were poor and needy. According to verse 24, they brought the sacrifice of two turtle doves or pigeons. On top of that, they were keeping the law of the Lord to dedicate their firstborn completely to the Lord, setting this firstborn as holy, sanctified, fully belonging to the Lord. Not unlike what we were just doing as a church now, saying these children wholly belong to the Lord, sanctifying them and setting them apart. This wouldn't have been an unusual thing. There would have been numerous families doing this. Right? So for Simeon to pick out this one family seems unusual because there would have been plenty of families doing the same thing, bringing in the sacrifice, bringing their children before the Lord. And so what makes this special is today, on that day, God himself was coming into the temple. So, so think about this. We, we talk about the house of the Lord, right? And the temple very much was the house of the Lord. It was how God and where God would come and dwell among his people. And, and so I want you to think about this. God was coming home that day in the flesh. 
This is an amazing moment where God, who commanded the creation of or the building of the temple, is now coming to his dwelling place. On this day, God would dwell among his people, a beautiful fulfillment of God's promises to his people. On this day, this young couple with this special baby would come in contact with two people who had been waiting for this very day. They had waited their whole lives for this to happen. In the hubbub and the bustling activity of the, of the temple courtyard and the lambs crying and the smoke rising, the bird wings flapping. I mean, what, just imagine the cacophony that would be going on in this moment with all of the people and all of the animals coming in. There were two people looking beyond all the sacrifices, looking beyond all the crowds to seeing something through the eyes of faith. Looking at the promises of God, the purposes of God. And in these two people that our attention is drawn to in the story, Simeon and Anna, much like Mary and Joseph, they're great representations of what it looks like to be a person of faith. Be a person of faith in this child, in this Jesus. It's what, that what they represent to us is how we, as people of Jesus, are to live with our whole lives marked by Jesus. So what does it look like to live a life of faith where our whole lives are marked out by Jesus? And I think we see some of this in the characteristics in the lives of Simeon and Anna. The first thing I want to point out to you is the life of faith is a life of patient endurance. They were no spring chickens. Their whole lives have been marked in this way. A life of endurance is what we are called to as people of faith. One of the clear things that you see about Simeon and Anna is their age. Simeon's age isn't given, but Anna was at least 84 years old. Although some even translate the verse there in verse 37 as that she had been a widow for 84 years, which would have made her between 102 and 104. So why is this important? Because both Simeon and Anna demonstrate that a follower of the Lord is a lifelong, patient follower of the Lord. We're waiting for something. That's what it looks like to be a person of faith. We hope in what we don't see. We're longing for something that's coming. We know that though we dwell here, there's a city, a better city, a greater city that we're waiting for. And by faith, we endure patiently. This is what Psalm 37 tells us, because Simeon and Anna are demonstrating this. Psalm 37 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. See, what can happen is we can absolutely be the people who see everybody prospering around us and we go, we're not waiting anymore. We can just get into the life that everybody else lives, but a person of faith it's a person of patient endurance. Second Corinthians chapter four says we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's what we're waiting for. That's why we're enduring as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are Eternal. The life of faith is a life of patient endurance. Here's the thing about endurance. Endurance is hard. 
That's why they call it endurance. Patience is hard. That's why they call it patience. It's not a, an easy thing to patiently endure. Parenting is the perfect example of this, right? Uh, I've had several people since Kessa turned 18 uh, just about a week ago say, how are you doing with that? I was like, I've been preparing her to turn 18 for 18 years. So I'm doing really well. What are you gonna, how are you going to do when she goes off? And I'm like, like I said, I've been preparing her for a long time to, to leave. <laughs> and I'm kind of, it'd be great for her to leave at some point. And then they drove. She drove down to her cousin's house for the past three days. And it's been great. <laughs> and I was like, I'm even more ready now. Like, this is just a really good taste of what's coming. And then they'll move back in when they're like 26. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> But there, there's a sense in parenting where you're, you're enjoying, yes, but you're also enduring so much of the parenting process for something that's coming. You guys walking with me on this? There's part of that journey that is all about what's coming later. So yes, we get to enjoy the process. Yes, we get to see victories in the process, but we also endure the process. And that's what life is. The life of faith is enduring for something that's greater so that every travail that happens now is replaced by something a thousand times better, infinitely better in the end. Everything we lose now in Christ's name, we get back a hundredfold. That's what endurance looks like. And the life of faith is a life of patient endurance, a lifelong pursuit. But this patient endurance is not drudgery. It's not meant to be drudgery. I don't see anywhere in the text where Simeon and Anna are like, I guess we'll go to the temple again today to wait for the Messiah. Right? It, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like this is their life and this is the joy of their life. This is why they exist and they've accepted that because the life of faith is a life that's marked by expectant hope. The life of faith is a life of expectant hope. Hope. So it's not just that there's patient endurance. It's not just that you're getting through it and you're muscling through. You got to get because heaven is coming. And so we can endure today. It's this hope that begins to color everything about today and begins to give you joy and purpose in the day because one day things are going to be better. One day, all that I'm making all things new, that'll come true. One day we get all of the joy. Verse 37 says of Anna that her life was so marked by this expectant hope that she did not leave the temple, but she fasted and prayed night and day. Verse 25 says that Simeon was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, here's the thing about somebody who is a person of faith. We believe that one day we will see the Christ, right? We believe. Even Job said, my Redeemer lives, right? And I'm going to see him. So in the middle of all these trials, he's told, no, no, you won't have to die to see the Christ. You're going to get to see the Christ in the flesh before you die. And it's this expectant hope that gets him up in the morning. It's this expectant hope that gets Anna up in the morning that, that allows her to continue to endure, continue to press in, to continue to follow, to continue to worship. Simeon was waiting for the one who would bring the peace of Israel, 
the comfort that would come in the Messiah for those who were waiting with expectant hope. Isaiah 40 puts it this way, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is what Simeon was waiting for, the consolation, the comfort of Israel, a a nation that was under all kinds of immense pressure internally and externally, ruled by another nation. He might not have known what the peace would look like, but ultimately he held the peace in his arms. And this is what he was able to wait for, hoping with expectant hope, every day waiting. Every day, come quickly, Messiah. Every day in the temple, waiting for the one who would come and redeem Israel. Maybe both of them were possibly scorned by the religious elites, the very people who had become indifferent to this idea of a Messiah altogether. The people who liked their position. And they watch these two old people coming in every day a little more stooped than the day before. Every day waiting. Every day talking to everybody. Hey, you know the Messiah's coming soon. Can you imagine being the guy who talks to Simeon every day when he comes in? Might be today. Might be, I, know, I know I'm not going to die before I see him. So it might be today. You look at him like he's a fool. Maybe these people didn't trust anymore that God would keep his word. That those who wait on him, he will mount up on wings like eagles and renew their strength. Maybe maybe they had lost all of their expectant hope and they were just trying to get one foot in front of the other. But a life of faith is a life of expectant hope. Just like Titus 2 says, that we are waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We're waiting with expectant hope. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to appear. We're waiting for the one who would come and make things new. Can you imagine every day scanning the young couples coming in? Because this would have been a daily occurrence. Young families coming in, dedicating their children. You're scanning the young couples, wondering which day, which child and in doing something, what they did, Simeon and Anna did, is they demonstrated a third aspect of the life of a believer. Expectant hope leads to faithful submission. The life of faith is a life of patient endurance. It's a life of expectant hope. But it's also a life of faithful submission to God's Spirit. And when God speaks, we listen. When He speaks through His Word, we believe. Simeon lived his life under control of the Holy Spirit. The text says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then even when he came, he came in the Spirit to the temple. A life of holiness, a life of devotion, as verse 25 says. He had been assured by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah coming, and he believed that. See, a life of faith listens to God's word and believes and obeys accordingly. Ch- changes our life and our, our aspirations, our goals, in order to match up with what we're told by God in his word. He, he had this confidence in the spirit of God that led him to be directed by the spirit of God. Imagine coming to the temple every day and no Messiah. Right? Right? Maybe today's the day and you go home 
with a no. Maybe today's the day and you go home with a no. Anybody ever feel like your life is that cycle? Maybe the promise is going to come true. Maybe it's you look at your wives, you look at your husbands right now. Maybe he'll finally fix that thing he said he was going to fix. And you go to bed every night. Nope, not today. Right? You've, you, you've experienced this sort of cycle of maybe, not yet. Maybe, not yet. Maybe, not yet. And at some point, I think we all become the maybe. No, it's never going to happen. I think at some point, most of us stop being the maybe and we just begin to think there's no way. Maybe turns to maybe not. Maybe tomorrow turns into probably never. But Simeon doesn't seem to have that problem. This expectant hope led him to actually trust what God said. And then order his life accordingly. I think that looks very different than most of us, if we're being honest. Because the word of God tells us that we are like the people in Revelation, like John in Revelation, crying out, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because he's going to make all things new. And I just wonder, when was the last time you cried that out? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In a time where it wasn't just struggle or pain, But when you realize even the good of this earth doesn't even compare to the good that's coming. When was the last time you cried out, come quickly, Lord Jesus, when it wasn't just a plea because you wanted out of a situation, but because you realized that even the good that you're getting in this life doesn't compare to the good that's coming. See, sometimes I think we forget that God has made promises and he's going to keep them. And our lives should be ordered by what God says in his Word, not by convenience, not by our own wisdom, but Simeon's whole life, Anna's whole life was directed by this hope, this word of God, this promise from God, and the spirit of God. Simeon's a great example of what the word of God says in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And Anna is no different, called a prophetess here, one who affirms and confirms the word of the Lord. Specifically, it seems in this case about the redemption of God's people and the coming of the Messiah. She was the one who kept going up to people going, he's coming. The Messiah's coming. Like we're we're waiting for the redemption of Israel. The redemption of Israel is coming in the Messiah. She spoke the word of the Lord to all who were waiting for the Messiah. And this was by leading of the Spirit of God. Second Peter chapter 1 tells us, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it's this Spirit who gives the freedom, the redemption that they were waiting for in the Messiah King. Romans chapter 2 says, The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is what Simeon and Anna's lives were marked by. They patiently endured. They were waiting. But they waited with hope, expecting that God was actually going to keep his promises, which led them to a place of, if God said it, it's true, so my life better be changed. It seems like a simple message. seems simple enough, right? That God says it, I believe it, so my life should change. But it doesn't seem to be the case of how we live our lives. 
But Simeon and Anna are living examples of what it looks like for believers to patiently endure, to hope with expectancy, to faithfully submit to the Lord. And it's these people of faith that the Lord is revealed to. Only through the eyes of faith can anyone see and know the Lord. Only through the eyes of faith can anyone know the salvation of the Lord. And this is the final lesson I want us to learn from Simeon and Anna before they exit the story and are never heard from again in Scripture. It's such a profound moment with Jesus. And then they exit the story and are never heard from again in Scripture. These faithful Faith-filled, patient followers of God, they respond in faith. They respond with praise, a prophetic word about this Messiah, baby king. And it's here that all of their hope, all of their faith finds its fulfillment. Look at their responses to baby Jesus. The passage says of Simeon in verse 28, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for a revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon, by direction of the Holy Spirit, here in this prophetic word, reveals truths about himself and about the baby Jesus. Simeon's response demonstrates that his whole life is being fulfilled in Jesus. What fulfills your life? Where do you feel fulfillment in your life? Working with your hands, accomplishing a task at work, when your kids actually listen to you and clean their room. What, what, what brings fulfillment in your life? For Simeon... He found all that fulfillment only in Jesus, only in holding this child. At this moment, when he holds the child, he's actually able to say, now I can die in peace. You've let me see your salvation, a salvation to the Gentiles, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory, the people Israel. He was holding the life and the light of the world, and now he understands that Peace with God is fulfilled. Death has no power over him. If he dies today, he can die happy. You ever said that? You ever had that moment in your life where you're like, well, I could die happy now. Anybody ever said that? Did it change within the hour? I could die happy now and then all of a sudden something really scares you and you're like, oh, I want to die. But you could have died happy until something unhappy happened. That's not Simeon. Simeon in this moment is saying, take me now, Lord, because it's not going to get any better than this. I am content. He's not saying he wants to die. He's not pursuing death. He's saying, I now have, am holding life. I'm not going to find it anywhere else. When fulfillment of life is found in Jesus, not in the world, not in our own ideas, not in our own confidences, but in the Lord They're standing in the temple near the courtyard designed for the nations to come and worship the one true God. Simeon held the one true God in his hands. And he proclaimed the salvation of the Lord for the world. And Anna, her response is the same. So what happens when we come in contact with Jesus and our response to Jesus is, you are my life. Then we have to tell everybody that he is our life. Verse 38 says, Anna says, coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. See, true believers respond to Jesus in worship and in proclaiming him to others. That's what it looks like to be a true believer. 
To be a person of faith means that we worship and we proclaim. Those are the two jobs. We worship and we proclaim. This is what it looks like. And when they found the fulfillment of their hope, they found all of the object of their hope found in this baby Jesus, they exclaimed and they proclaimed. They worshiped and praised and they proclaimed. By faith, we are confronted by Jesus. And when that happens, we must proclaim that sin is defeated. Salvation has come. The sacrifice has been made. This falls right in line with what Simeon said to Mary about Jesus. Simeon blessed them, verse 34, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. We know that happened at the crucifixion of Jesus, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is the king who would overthrow every throne and dominion. Jesus is God who looks on the heart, not on the appearance. Jesus is the one who would lift up the head of the downtrodden, forgive the sins of the repentant. Jesus is the one who would be opposed by the proud and who would lift up the humble. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nothing would remain hidden from him. As John 1 says, Jesus is the true light which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How how would he accomplish this as baby? Simeon's holding him and it's almost as if Simeon's going, you guys have no idea what this baby's going to do. How would he do it? He would do it exactly as God intended. And this is what it looked like. Jesus would identify with his people. Isn't that what he's doing in this passage? Identifying with his people. He was circumcised. Identifying with the covenant people of God. He would worship in the temple and in the synagogue. God in the flesh dwelling in his holy temple. He would celebrate feasts and festivals. Jesus came to his own, and though he was not received by his own, he received as many as would repent and would believe his gospel of the kingdom. Jesus identified with his people. That's what we see in the passage with him being circumcised. But Jesus also kept and fulfilled God's law for his people. Even from his birth, his parents led him to keep the law from purification to obedience, which we see in this passage. He was set apart and sanctified as the firstborn, holy unto the Lord. But Jesus wouldn't just be in name holy to the Lord. He would be holy to the Lord. He would fulfill God's law, not just keep God's law. He would keep God's law from a pure heart, keeping it as you and I and everyone else, even his own parents, could not and would not have kept the law of the Lord. Jesus truly was sanctified and holy before the Lord, not just symbolically. But in reality, Jesus accomplished his mission by keeping and fulfilling God's law. The irony shouldn't be lost in what's happening. So I want you to picture multiple families, maybe dozens of families bringing their children with all the lambs and the turtle doves. They're bringing these lambs to be sacrificed while Simeon is holding the lamb who would take away the sins of the world. Don't miss the irony. That everybody else was trying to keep a law to be clean while the only true God was being held in this old man's arms. Don't miss 
what God was accomplishing here. There among all the sacrifices was the true Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. See, Jesus did not just keep God's law. He wasn't just obedient to his Father. He fulfilled God's law so that he became the Lamb of sacrifice. So that all who will trust him will have his obedience, will have his righteousness accounted to us. The Lamb of God, Jesus, the salvation of the Lord. And this way Jesus would fulfill his purpose. His name would come true. Jehovah saves. Simeon's prophecy would be true. Isaiah's prophecy would find its fulfillment as Jesus would save his people. Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So as the band comes up to lead us in a song to close out, I want you to think about this. Today is a day where you come in contact with, through this story, the Savior King Jesus. And people who come in contact with Jesus either respond in faith or they reject him. Those are the only two options. Because even indifference, even, I'll get to that later, is a rejection. But those who truly turn from self and turn to Jesus in faith are marked out by a new life that's utterly transformed. Because there's this hope that allows you to endure. Because what's coming, we believe, is true. And if we believe that's true, we believe God now, not just in the future. So we trust him in what he says now, so our whole lives have to begin to be shaped and changed and transformed by his word and by his spirit. We get a new life, a new identity. We get new plans for our children, new purposes, new hope, new expectations, new desires, new aspirations, new directions. See, Jesus did not come to make you better. He came to make you new. He didn't come to fix your problems. He came to fix you. And that means new in all areas of life. And a life that's marked by faith will live with patient hope. Knowing that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But also with this understanding that there's going to be an enduring factor because that's not going to happen until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not completing it Next Monday. He's completing it with Jesus returns, which puts us in a place now going, I got to wait. And I'm going to wait on the Lord. And the only way I wait on the Lord is by trusting that his word is true. And if his word is true for the future, his word's got to be true for today. So I'm going to submit myself to God's spirit and his word. We're no longer marked by the desires of the flesh. We walk by the spirit, walking by faith. And those who walk by the Spirit in faith must worship and bless the name of the Lord for his salvation. And we have to proclaim to others. Our lives have to begin to be marked by this. We have to keep telling people he's coming again. We have to be like Simeon and Anna, but waiting for the new Jerusalem. Where we're showing up every day and we're telling people, today might be the day. And they look at us like we're crazy. He didn't come yet. You were telling me that yesterday and he didn't come been telling me that for years and he hasn't come and we keep going today could be the day today could be the day 
We have to tell people. We have to say, we're waiting. We're longing for. We desire. Why? Because the obedience of today is because I've, made, I've been made a promise by Jesus for the future. <laughs> I'm going to trust him for that. I'm going to trust him today. And if I'm going to trust him today, I'm going to trust him for that. So my life is going to be changed and marked by that. As James chapter 5 says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your heart. Stand firm for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So my prayer for you in 2023 is that this year would be marked by faith. that's established in our hearts. It allows us to patiently expect Jesus to return and would mark out our lives to proclaim the coming of the Lord that it's at hand. May every day be marked by the truth that today belongs to Jesus, who is and who was and who is to come. Father, I pray that we would trust Jesus with patient endurance, expecting that this hope of the promise that you've been given, given to us in Christ is true so that we can trust your word even for today. Mark us out as distinct and different, set apart and holy, oddballs in a world of oddballs. Because our hearts and our minds and our lives have been so transformed that our lives can only now be transfixed on the person and work of Jesus and all that's promised in him. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.